guy asked me that I prayed with, he goes, you want to get delivered? I go, you know, what's deliverance, man? You know, I, you know, I didn't speak Christianese, man. It's a new language. Right. What are you talking about, man? He goes, do you want to stop doing drugs? I said, well, I can relate to that. And I said, yeah, dude, I hate math. Man. I hate the way it makes me fit. I said, I do it every day, but I hate it. Yeah, I'll pray. But as he laid his hands on me, the, the power of the Holy Ghost did me. And I was, fell down under the power of God. And Welcome to the free sermon podcast of the Potter's House Church in Virginia Beach, affiliated with Christian Fellowship Ministries. Our vision is winning souls, making disciples, and planting churches. It's Tuesday, where you're going to hear a powerful testimony of God's grace revealed in human lives. Each Tuesday, you'll hear Pastor Adam interviewing pastors from around the world to share the mighty miracles that God has done in their lives to give you hope for yours. We share the stories of the men behind the messages you hear every other day on this podcast. Keep in mind that the free version only includes a portion of the whole testimony interview. To listen to the full version, use the links in the show notes to subscribe via Apple Podcasts or Supercast.tech. Every dollar goes to supporting world evangelism. Enjoy today's Testimony Tuesday. All right, we are back once again on the VBPH Sermon Podcast. This is Pastor Adam with you, and it is Testimony Tuesday. So we are here once again with a guest, a pastor from our fellowship, uh, the CFM Ministries around the world, 3,400 churches and growing with every passing day. We are blessed to have such an amazing collection of pastors and evangelists around the world doing a great work for God. Uh, and with this podcast, we are trying to get out their stories of what God has done in their lives. And today we're very blessed and privileged to have evangelist Mike Gomez uh, on the show with us. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for the invitation. All right. Well, this was a this was a, a tough one in the making. I we had to reschedule our interview about three times. I think finally got it done. So I appreciate yeah. your patience with that. Yeah. Here we are. Amen. Amen. Well, Pastor Mike Gomez, uh, evangelist Mike Gomez, you are evangelizing out of the Colton Church in California under Pastor Eric Strutz. And uh, for those who don't know you, why don't you give yourself uh, an introduction and give us the uh, the three to five minute uh, conference style testimony of what God's been doing in your ministry? Well, as of late, I've been seeing quite uh, a few miracles taking place. I've been evangelizing since uh, 2014 this time. And so, you know, as anybody, I wasn't real famous, you know, and people didn't know who I am. So I had to plug away to get my name out there. But God's been good. He's been faithful. Had the struggles during COVID like a lot of guys, but God moved there. I had lots of testimonies as far as him moving on my behalf financially. And so I've been staying busy over the course of time, and I feel it's God's will for my life. So I've been contending for the supernatural. God's been validating his message with miracles and and uh you know gifts of the spirit things like this and, and i do appreciate those who have me keep coming back and so that's always good there's a few of them to do so up to date and my wife and i and uh she's she's on board she's all into me being an evangelist and so i have five daughters i get to take some of them with me sometimes we just got back from a boot camp where i'm a drill instructor at one of the boot camps and so and uh my daughters were part of that one. And actually, we had a great time. Uh, a lot of people I know know this, but we actually had an Asbury-type experience there on a Wednesday night where it's almost like the T-1000 
teenagers didn't want to go back to their barracks. So Pastor Ray Ruby, who was the head of that particular boot camp, but uh, you know, dismissed everybody finally. And uh, what took place even after that is some of the boys uh, were praying for the sick in their barracks, praying for people to get full of the Holy Ghost. And uh, it was revival, man. It was really, wow. it was a reference point for a lot of those teens as, as well as me. I've never seen that in one of our boot camps to that degree. And so it was very powerful experience. And so my daughter is still riding on the high of that. And so I, I said, keep the fire burning. That's fantastic. Wow. Yes, awesome. Praise God for that. Wow. So, um, yeah, we, we had a similar event take place in the boot camp last year over here in Jacksonville, North Carolina. My daughter got to be a part of that as well. It was very exciting. And uh seems like God is is doing that in uh in a in a special way in this generation. Yeah. Hopefully uh, it's the kindling of a revival movement, huh? Yeah, Brother Schultz and uh, Willis both told me about that particular thing last year. So they referenced that as well. And so that was pretty awesome. Yeah, very awesome. And um, we want to be on the forefront of that. Absolutely. So that's exciting to hear that it's not just in one place at one time, but uh, it's beginning to spread. Hallelujah. Yeah, we need these teenagers to get on fire for God. Amen. That's right. That's right. So five girls, that's a lot of girls in one house. Yeah, I'm thinking about writing a book, you know, (laughs) so I'm an expert now. (laughs) Yeah. What would your title be? Uh, father knows best. <laughs> don't go insane. Yeah, don't go insane. No, actually, it's, it's been good. People always question me. They always say things like, you know, how could, you know, wow, I feel sorry for you. But, you know, my girls are, it's been very good so far. You know, God's, they're all saved. They all have a relationship with Jesus. And so. My well, that makes it twins, good, doesn't it? Yeah, very good. So, and, you know, um, I have one that's married. I'm a grandfather now. That's a whole nother level of ministry. Hallelujah. Yeah. And I thought I'd be yeah, dead. I, I'm at 25. Here I am a grandpa. Wow. Wow. Well, I, I'm excited to hear that story. But quickly, before we jump in, I, I had a guy explain to me why girls are better than boys. Uh, I was working uh, a while ago uh, with, when my wife was pregnant with our second daughter. And she had gone to the doctor to get the ultrasound. And we found out that it was going to be a second daughter. And so I was kind of bummed out, you know, because I was yeah. kind of hoping for a boy, you know. So I, I was telling him, yeah, it's going to be a girl. And he said, listen, I had three girls and I had one boy and the girls are better than the boy. And here's why. He said, when you raise a boy, you if you do it right, the boy is going to go off, become a man and start his own life and his own family. And he's probably going to leave you in the dust. But the girls... Oh, how they stay connected to dad if that relationship is right. He said, my girls come and visit me and talk to me. And so anyways, he, with a wise counsel he gave me, I was very glad to have two girls. Yeah, yeah I'm telling you, there are some. Uh, uh, Pastor Mitchell had mentioned a book years ago uh, by a woman named Dr. Meg Meeker. She did a book called Epidemic, and she did a follow-up on that book because she had so much information why these girls survive the adolescent craziness and, you know, the promiscuity and things like that. And she made the connection. The title of her book was Strong Fathers, Strong Daughters. And mm. and so I recommended that book to fathers of daughters, especially because there is that connection. She made that. She says that the, they always have that reference point in life that, you know, that's my dad. You know, it doesn't matter what they're going through. They will always keep that in mind. You know, my dad said, my dad taught me this. And so if you got a good, strong father, you'll have good, strong daughters. Praise God. Well, I got to definitely pick up that book. Yeah, it's a little dated, but it's still it's still it's still good. It's still relevant. 
Amen. All right. Well, already uh, the the interview is worth it. I'm getting yep. getting things out of it. So, uh, Pastor Mike, why don't you tell us uh, about your history and how you grew up and how and where and what was life like for you as a little guy growing up? Okay. Well, that's kind of a, you know, I guess a common story. Sad now these days. I did uh, grow up with a father. Being an evangelist, I uh, I called my mother from time to time. She knows I travel, so I called her when I was in Mesquite. Nevada, and uh, just touching base with her and saying how. And she goes, where are you at? And I told her, Mesquite. Before I could finish my sentence, she goes, oh, that's where your father left us. And so I had never heard this side of her story. You know, I just knew my dad had left. And so she says, uh, she goes, I'll never forget it, Mike. She goes, you were, you know, I was, I'm the oldest of four. Uh, One of my sisters passed away last year. And so, but, uh, I was six, and then on down every two years, my sister bored, my other sister uh, was two, and then I had my youngest brother, a new boy. She says, he left us, went to work, never came back. Mm. And so uh, she came back, she says, and, you know, we were still there waiting for her. And so she, my mom was broken down you know, about this. She's, you know, you know, years of torment and all this. And so, and so we started dialoguing about the effects of that in my life. And I, and I told her, I says, I says, one of the things that, uh, you know, growing up without a father, I told her, I says, I said, I used to hate it when my mother would tell me, you know, you're just like your father, you know? And so, cause I, I connected the dots as far as all the bad stuff I did, because, you know, six years old, my mother moved back to California. And so, and so I'm just growing up, I'm a latchkey kid, no, no father, you know, to instruct or to bring discipline. And so basically I just started you know, get involved in all kinds of crazy things, you know, started smoking cigarettes, started, you know, uh, looking at porno as a young kid, you know, 10 years old, I had, you know, relationships going on with girls at a very young age, which was kind of sad, but just, you know, trying to find my little niche in life. I also was a very violent kid, which I didn't understand then, but I would actually, you know, sometimes go to school purposely looking for somebody to punch out, you know, or to, vent my rage, my anger and different things like this. And I, I never really understood. I just thought it was who I was by my makeup, you know? And so it wasn't until I started getting older in life when I realized, you know, all these things that, you know, plus the things that my mom had said, it's because of my dad and here I didn't know this guy and all the bad stuff was correlated to him. And so I began to hate this man and I, I actually mm. swore if I ever, if I ever met him, I would kill him. And so I actually enlisted the Marine Corps when I was 17 to change my direction because I was, you know, not going good. And so I went in the Marine Corps and it just compiled the, the anger in my heart. You know, I was still a violent man in the Marine Corps and got worse. They don't Kicked mind I, violent young men, do they? No, they don't mind. Yeah. They kind of encourage it, you know. And so... Yeah, got out of the Marine Corps, went back to what I used to do and got worse. And so I was visiting my mom one time and and uh, she made this statement. She goes, oh, I knew your dad would call when you guys were all growing up. So I'm now 24 years old now. And so she's uh, she's complaining to me about all, you know, what he's doing. I don't know what she's talking about. This is back in the day when we had phones on the, on the you know, landlines, you know. And so I'm there and there's a phone call. And so she gives answers and she says, Hey, it's for you. So I'm thinking, who knows I'm here, you know? 
this would be four pagers and all that stuff. And so I went and answered the phone. And on the other line, this was this male voice. He says, hello, son. And I, <laughs> caught me off guard. I says, uh, who well, is this? He says, this is your father. I says, well, I don't have a father. And he, he wanted, he said, I'd like to talk to you. And I says, man, uh, you know, the, the little six year old boy in me wanted to talk and kind of wind out, you know, ask the questions, why, you know, did you leave us? Blah, blah, blah. But the man in me, I hated him so much. I was like, I don't want to talk to you, man. And so, mm. but he, he convinced me. I says, listen, if I meet you, I says, I'm I this, uh, the condition is you have to buy me a 12 pack of beer. And if you buy me a 12 pack of beer, I'll, uh, I'll hear what you got to say. So he's okay. So I pick him up and uh, he buys me a 12 pack. I take him up. I had a four wheel drive at the time. I took him up into these little hills and uh, he's talking to me and I'm, I'm listening to him like Charlie Brown's teacher, you know, he just blah, 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 blah. And I'm, I'm not really soaking anything he's saying. I'm just pounding the beers, listening to him. And finally I got to the point where I just, I had enough. And so, you know, the kind of person I am, I would, you know, I'm going to tell you what I think. And so I looked him in his eyes, say, hey, listen, dude, I says, you would have been here last year. I probably would have killed you. But as it stands right now, I don't give a beep about you or about anything. So you can just hit the road. I'm done talking. And so, but while he was talking, I was actually contemplating, I could do this here and drop him off right here in this hillside and be done with it. I was contemplating it seriously. And so. You know, that was the last I seen him. A year later, I ended up getting saved. And so how I got saved was kind of an interesting thing because I had escalated my sin so quickly. You know, I was going, I was out of control. You know, I was, you know, I was, uh, I was a drunk since, since uh, you know, probably junior high, druggy since junior high. Pastor Mike, I'm just curious, had you had any kind of religious background when you were a kid growing up? No, no religious background ground whatsoever you know okay never went so, to church my, one of my sisters said she remembers going to church i think i if we went to church once i think i got in a fight with the church that might have oh. been in elementary school but i don't remember okay yeah. okay so yeah matter of fact on my dog tags you know it tells you what kind of religion right. you are yeah and so my dog tag says no preference so <laughs> so i just had no idea who god was so i had no reference point i, I kind of knew there was a god out there yeah. But not really knowing who he was, you know, or, you know, matter of fact, I walked out of a bar one time. I was so burnt out on life. I was 24 years old. This is after I had met my father for the first time. And so I'd gone there with a the purpose just to drink my, you know, drink into Bolivian, you know, get in a fight, whatever the case came up. But I remember leaving that place that night. It's a local bar here. And, uh, and I looked to the stars, and I said, "Man, God, if you're real, I said, I'm, I'm sick of this nonsense. I'm, I'd gotten burned out of fighting. Kind of, you know, where I grew up, the uh, people kind of fought for recreation, <laughs> if I guess you can say that. And so there were certain groups of people that had reputations. You know, I grew up in a place called Fontana, which is uh, right down the road, and uh, our claim to fame is uh, that's where the Hell's Angels started, and Sammy Hagar was a red rocker." And so it was kind of a rowdy little town, you know, and so, and I had started to develop one of those, you know, testimonies, I guess, of one of those crazy people like to fight. And so there was a certain a bunch of us, but it got to the point in my life where I was like, almost every time I turned around, there was always somebody else wanting to, you know, check my manhood, so to speak, you know, and so I was getting burned out of it. I was like, man, I'm, I'm done. You know, I'm like, 
uh, there's got to be more. And so I'm having this dialogue with the sky, you know, walking home. And I'm, you know, making a bargain with God's God. Maybe I need a, you know, a woman to settle down. Maybe I need to go to church. I don't know. I said, but I'm tired of this stuff. Mm-hmm. And so little did I know he actually heard that prayer. You know? Wow. Because yeah. it wasn't but a few months later that I met this broken young lady. You know, she was, uh, she had her own broken issues. She grew up in a home where, you know, bikers lived in the house, drugs were everywhere. I actually, when we got together, I started dealing drugs with her, her mom and her stepdad, you know, I would deal drugs with family them. business, <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. And so we kind of connected right away. And so, and, uh, yeah, yeah. She, the thing is, is she had a more of an, an experience with religion than I did. And so she wasn't really backslidden. She was lost, but she knew more about Jesus because she had a little Pentecostal grandmother that used mm. to basically witness to her. Usually there's a praying grandmother involved in these stories yeah. somewhere. Yeah. So she took her to, she took her to church and what have you. So she had some stuff in her head that I never heard, of, you know? And so being on methamphetamines and, you know, sometimes I'd be up for a couple of days and, and then my girlfriend started to talk about Jesus and, you know, we need to get our hearts right. You need to get your, you know, she was like preaching to me, you know, and I would question, I said, well, you know, who are you? You know, you're telling me what to do, but you're doing the same thing I'm doing. You know, matter of fact, my girlfriend, she told me one time, she never met anybody in life that could drink as much beer as I could and smoke as much weed as I could and still hold conversation. And I kind of <laughs> shucked it off and just laughed. I said, well, I had a lot of practice, you know, it's, it's been what I've been doing you know, all my life. So, and so, we, uh, you know, we'd, we would get in those conversations from time to time. And uh, uh, I remember taking her out for her birthday. She had just turned 21. And I said, you know, now she's of legal age. So I, she liked to dance. And so I, you know, I like to drink. So I took her out to a club and we started on a Thursday night, you know, and then Friday rolls around. We're st- I'm still wide awake. And, it's, you know, Friday night comes, we go to another club, you know, so I'm still partying. And then Saturday rolls around. I'm still, you know, in high gear, you know, and uh, we go to another club, you know. And so we just, you know, nonstop for three days. Wow, that's serious. And then so uh, Sunday comes around. Now I'm, I'm kind of burnt out. I want to chill out and unwind and eventually crash out. My little sister comes over. My younger sister comes over who just got saved in May. And uh, she's inviting us to church. And so. There, um, my girlfriend has this, you know, her, her eyes light up. She's engaged in this conversation. She's hearing things she hasn't heard since her grandmother is talking about being born again. And they're having this dialogue back and forth. You got to come, you got to come to church. And I'm just kind of blowing off in the background, just kind of hitting the pipe, smoking my weed, just, just trying to burn out so I can go to sleep. Could could you locate us in time? What year is this and how old were you? I was, uh, I was almost 25. This is July of, uh, of, uh, of, um, 88. Okay. And so, and I had met my dad the year before, you know, in July of 87. And so, and so here's, uh, you know, now they, they're tag teaming. They're, they're, come on, let's just go to church. It's just church. They're going to show a movie. And I'm like, you know, I, I finally caved in. I said, all right, she wants to go. It's a movie. But, you know, look at her. I still go. And so the day starts to creep on. It starts to turn into evening and summer. And I'm just totally burnt out. And, and 
and I noticed my girlfriend getting up and she's, you know, she's getting ready. Looks like she's going to go to a club. Actually. She's got her mini skirt on. She's putting her makeup on. And I say, Hey, where are you going? She goes, aren't we going to church? And I'm like, well, I guess. And so, but I, I told her, I said, I can't go like this. I'm, I'm too burnt out. So I went to the room where I had all my drugs. And I, I used to deal, not, not big time, but you know, just a, I mean, I had opportunities to do big time, but I never did. I just did it to support my habit. And so I went to the room, busted out a big old line, you know, and then I'm not, you know, I don't know if you've ever done methamphetamines, but if you've been up for a couple of days and, you you know, you're trying to burn out and then you do another one, it's like, you know, putting a recharge in, boom, you know, it's suddenly my heart's mm. great. And I'm, I'm like, man, I can't go to church like this. I'm, you know, out of my mind, I'm tweaking. So I went and rolled me a big old fat one and, you know, smoked a joint. I said, all right, I'm, I'm cool. I didn't go to church now, <laughs> you know? And so I uh, got to go up, but not too high. So you got to come back down a little bit. (laughs) Well, I tell people I I lived a balanced life back in the day, you know? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) And so, and so, you know, so I put, you know, some weed in my pocket, you know, bag of weed and a a bag of speed. I said, you never know these Christians might want to party or something, you know? So I go to church. I'm, I'm with her, me and her go. And uh, I'm wearing flip flops. I got my cutoff shorts on. I got a, Tank top says Corona on it, you know, beer, shirt. All my shirts were advertisements for sin of some sort. So my marijuana earring in my ear, long hair, and we went to church, you know. And, and I, I remember sitting in that in in the, in the church. It's the first time I've ever been in church. I don't know what to expect. I'm kind of looking wow. at kind of people like they're all smiling, and I'm like, man, what a, what a trip this is. And then I look over at my girlfriend, and she's she's crying. She's like tears coming down her eyes. And so I wasn't very sensitive at the time. So I look at her and says, you know, hey, what's your trip? You know, why are you crying? I came to church. You know, she goes, this is something I always wanted. I, I didn't understand, you know. So I'm just like, okay, well, whatever. So then they end up showing a movie and it happened to be about drugs. There's all these testimony about people that were on drugs and now don't do drugs. And so I'm listening to it. And it was just for I, you. Yeah, I don't remember if it was a, a gospel message in it because you know but i'm thinking while i'm sitting there y'all want to know about drugs i'll tell you about drugs because i got drugs in my pocket i've done tr- pretty much everything that's under the sun up to that point except for heroin you know and and i'm thinking you know this don't make no sense to me this is church you know and so but afterwards they had the altar call and that's when god began to do business with me i remember uh you know, as uh, they're making a plea for sinners, my girlfriend raised her hand and then backslider, she raised her hand again. And, she, I, you know, I kind of tease her because she almost dove to the altar, you know, and she almost, you know, didn't you know, didn't persuade anybody to, need to talk to her. She just went up there. Me, on the other hand, I, I'm I'm hard hearted by this time again. You know, I'm like later for this. I don't need no church. I ain't gonna. So I walked to the back of the wall, the back of the church and I and I put up the international sign of uh don't mess with me you know you know we sit in the back and hold your arms and you just kind of look around you're sending a signal to people don't bother talking to me and i see my sister lean over and talk to this this little this guy they called him vato you know he's a little homeboy and and so basically she's probably telling him hey go talk to my brother so he comes up and approaches me i'm on drugs right he comes (laughs) up and he goes hey man uh you ever hear about Jesus? And I cussed him out. I said, hey, man, F you, dude. Get on my face, dude, because uh, I'm going to drop you. Keep messing with me. You know? <laughs> he he kind of, I think I shocked him. You know? 
And so he, he walked away and then, you know, so I'm sitting there in the back, just kind of, I guess, kind of an imposing threat to people, I guess. And then another guy walks up to me and he starts talking. And I didn't brush him off because he looked familiar. I was trying to figure out who he was because he looked real familiar. Like, how do I know this guy? You know. And then as he starts telling me who he was, I knew his older brother and he looked like his brother. Oh. So I'm like, okay. So I'm connecting the dots and like, okay. So I wasn't quite as rude to him. But I didn't respond to his his you know his witness either. I'm just kind of like, oh okay, whatever. You know, I'm I'm not into it, man. But the altar kept going, you know, and my pastor just kept making appeals and pleading and you know, and he said, yeah, he says you're here because God brought you here. And when he said those words, it's like, man, it's like the spotlight hit me. You know? mm. man, I felt like the finger of God was on my chest. I'm like, whoa, man, I mean, I was tripping hard. I was like, man, I'm in church. I don't know anybody here except for my girlfriend and my sister. I said, man, how's God know I'm here? And so I went up and, and tapped the guy that had just left on his shoulder saying, listen, I'll pray. And he was kind of shocked. He said, really? I said, yeah, man, I'll, I just don't know how. And wow. Was, and so he led me. in. So a, that's a, know, that's a pretty quick change of heart in like uh, only a few moments, you know, was, from, yeah. from the first condition. guy you, you cussed yeah. him out. And then uh, the conviction of God got you to the altar. That's pretty powerful. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, he was surprised that I actually said yeah and walked up to him. And then so we're praying, and it was one of those ugly salvations, you know, where you know everything, all the junk I had in me came out. You know, I'm weeping at wow. the altar. God's touching me. I'm, you know, there's about ten people at the altar with me, my my girlfriend included. And then afterwards, you know, they. They made the appeal for a deliverance. And I, and I always joke, you know, you know, guy asked me that I prayed with. He goes, you want to get delivered? I go, you know, what's deliverance, man? You know, I, you know, I didn't speak Christianese, man. That's a new language. Right. What are you talking about, man? He goes, do you want to stop doing drugs? I said, well, I can relate to that. And I said, yeah, dude, I hate math. You know, I hate the way it makes me fit. I said, I do it every day, but I hate it. Yeah, I'll pray. So there's about 10 of us praying you know, all there and. And uh, so the pastor's laying his hands on people, individuals. And I, I don't notice. It's like I feel like I'm the only one there, you know. But as he laid his hands on me, the, the power of the Holy Ghost hit me. And I was fell down under the power of God. And, you know, my first uh, uh, response was to clench my fist. I'm laying down looking up at the ceiling. And I my, my response was, you know, I clenched my fist. I'm looking around like, who just pushed me? Mm. But I was... Inside, I was so filled with, uh, I guess, joy, and I was sober. You know, I was in my right wow. mind. I'm like, whoa, what just happened? And I'm, I'm blown away. I, I, like, I, I'm not on drugs right now. I'm not drunk. I'm not nothing. I'm like, what the heck, man? And I'm looking around. Everybody's on the ground with me. You know, all these people are on the ground. So the, br the brother told me, he said, man, God just touched your life. And I said, wow, man. I so I got up and I'm made my way to my girlfriend and we started to, you know, walk around the church as the church is, you know, closed now. And I introducing myself to people say, you guys got church tomorrow, man. I, I got to come back. And so we, I, uh, we left that night. I went to the parking lot and in the parking lot, I reached into my pocket and I grabbed my bag of weed and I chucked it out and my bag of speed. I threw that. My girlfriend said, what are you doing? I said, don't worry about it. You know, we got home to our apartment. And uh, I made a beeline right to my room where I had all the drugs, my scales, all that. I, oh, wow. 
I went and I, I, I threw all the dope I had in the toilet, flushed the toilet, broke my scales, tossed them in the trash, threw all my drug paraphernalia, pipes, bongs, you name it. I threw everything in the trash can, threw some old rock and roll albums out. And, uh, and, uh, first night. First night. And then I, I, uh, I went uh, from the bedroom to the couch. You know, we decided, I said, this ain't right, you know? And so, and I didn't know what fornication was. I just knew I can't be doing this. And so I, I moved to the, to the, to the bed, to the couch. And so eventually a door opened up for us to, uh, you know, uh, one of the brothers, it was an air force at the time. He, he said, Hey man, I got an extra room. You want to crash out of here? So made that move. And, you know, eventually my girlfriend and I, about a year and a half later started to court and, and uh, we got married, been married 30, Two years now. Wow. Seriously, she's still my girlfriend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I guess it's going to work out. Yeah, I guess we're stuck with each other. <laughs> Man, <laughs> well, that is that is an incredible salvation story. Like in in one day, God really did a miracle in you because you know you, I, I hear a lot of testimony stories, and it's not always like that. It's not always I got. Uh, 100%. Yeah, I, I'm sure God still had a, a few things to work on in your life, but f so, for the same day, through that kind of a transformation. People, yeah, I tell people, uh, yeah, it used to frustrate me as a, as a young pastor because, you know, my experience, I thought everybody. Everybody should have that, right. Yeah. It says, I thought, you know, yeah, man, I, I've got saved. Everybody should get saved like this, you know, but, right. you know, you learn that, you know, not everything's like that. And then there was an atmosphere in our church. My, my pastor had a, I, you know, I don't know, you know, he was involved. He was in the ministry. He was a follow-up pastor there in Tucson when they had the great explosion from 200 to 500 plus people. And so I think there was still an element of that at work in his life. Because we had a lot of supernatural conversions like that in a period of about two, three years. Mm -hmm. Just, you know, radical people added to the church. So. I was just one of them. My wife and I just one of them. So, so yeah, this, it's interesting because it's kind of at the tail end of the Jesus People movement because you know that that all kind of occurred early seventies, late seventies. Yeah. But you're talking about 1988, so you you're almost like second generation disciples there. But uh, do you think that that was still connected? I I'm I'm yeah, I'm actually a student revival man. I think so. You know, okay. just because the radical conversion and the lasting fruit because. You look what took place in the, in the Jesus People movement. Yeah, I mean, I've ran into people here because I live in California. People in their seventies that you know still testify, I was changed, and you know, yeah. not a part of our fellowship, but they're just they're still saved because that's in their DNA. And right. so I tell people, hey man, revival's in my DNA. I says, God changed me, and I says, so I contend for that where I go, and you know, God honors it. And I think there's people that. Uh, yeah. I tell them my testimony, they're like, one day, yeah, one day. Yeah. God, God's that's real. The one step program, right? <laughs> yeah. Couple of steps to the altar, and that's all it took. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, uh, why don't you share a little bit more about what was happening in the church there? Like, how, how long had Pastor Struts been there? And uh, what was the atmosphere like? Okay. Well, he got, you know, he was there since 85. He came in December of 85 took over. Pastor Paul Stevens pioneered. Pastor Stevens, I was preaching in El Paso and we were having breakfast and he he asked me, you know, that I never had somebody ask me, well, what's your testimony? And so I got to share with him. And so he was kind of glad that there was some fruit from his 
efforts. He pioneered the church in 81, and and Vince Redhouse came in, I think, about a year and a half later, took over, and eventually moved the church to Colton, where my pastor took over in 85. And so there was uh, mostly young girls and, and some religious folks coming, you know. And so then uh, I think in 86, God began to move and started bringing some real genuine converts, you know. The guy that prayed with me was one of those converts. We had some guys from the Air Force that were there, you know, relocated and stayed there. And uh, there was just, uh, uh, I guess, an atmosphere of uh, revival. And, you know, I remember the even in the early days of our church. One of the things I tell people, too, I've challenged pa uh, pastors with, that are considering on the verge of going full time. I said, listen, I said, I wasn't even there. And so when my pastor went full-time. He went full-time in 87. My pastor used to make uh, $400 an hour consulting fee. He's, you know, a few credits short of being Dr. Eric Stretz. Yeah, engineering science degrees and what have you. He was a professional engineer and uh, he pioneered the Rochester church. And so uh, he worked for Kodak, but he got saved there in Tucson, stuck it out. And so he's going full-time now in a, it's not a, you know, high business area where we, where we have our church. And so, and I says, God brought in people to support him. You know, when he made that decision, I said, I was one of those because, you know, as a new convert, I seen those envelopes in the back of foyer. You know, I didn't know what they were. I didn't know how to say Christian language. You know, I said, I told one of the brothers, Hey, what's a tip? You know, he says, it's tithe. I said, okay, well, whatever, man, what is it? You know, he says, it's 10%. I said, 10%, what? The gross, the net? You know, he goes, well, you want the gross blessing or the net blessing? I said, right. So without even hearing the sermon on tithing, I started tithing. And uh, there was a uh, envelope that said, you know, pastoral support. I asked what that was. And he ch shared with me that just, you know, right at the end of 87, beginning of 88, he had went full time. And so I said, wow, okay, well, I'll do that too. So I made a pledge to, to support the pastor, you know. And then missions were on there. So I, I just started giving, you know, I mean, I gave my money to the devil for years, so I had no issue with it. And so, but I, I tell other pastors that are on the verge, I says, God will bring in people when you take that step. Uh, you know, I, I learned that after the fact, you know, because down the road, you look back and say, wow, God honored, you know, right. my pastor's move by bringing radical conversions to his church that really kind of helped set the tone for that. That era, all the guys I got saved with, man, they're all pastors. Most of them are pastors or have pastored or have been missionaries. And so we got, you know, our, our litter, you know, you can say, you know, they've all gone out and preached. And we all used to street preach. We all had that little radical edge to us. We'd, we'd, we'd go find things to do. We'd, we'd travel, you know, you know, an hour and a half to go find a place to street preach. You know, oh, there's a concert over there in spring break in Palm Springs, about an hour and a half down the road. We just go down there mm -hmm. and invade, you know, because we just wanted to do something. Never once did somebody have to tell us to go outreach or go win souls. We were constantly trying to come up with something to do and you know, constantly go and find people. And so that was the atmosphere of the church. And then when we had revival services, man, there was times when. The glory would come down, man. We didn't want to go home. We'd be there at 11, 30, 12 o'clock at night, still fellowshipping, you know? You know? Hey, let's go do something, man. So it's kind of what I cut my teeth on. So I'm kind of, you know, that's kind of stuff I like, man. Absolutely. 
Yeah, and and that definitely changes your perspective when you go to other churches and you you know they're not used to that or that they didn't have that same experience. But that's what that's what you expect, right? Yeah, I look for it all the time. I'm always you know praying, God, let this be the time. Let this be the one that uh, breaks loose. You know? Amen. And see uh, the glory of God come down. Something like what we experienced up there in the boot camp, and at a greater levels and greater frequency. Praise God. So, um, well, tell us a little bit more about uh, about your girlfriend, then turned wife. Like, what was that? What was that experience like? Um, going from a relationship in the world, then to you know making a decision to do it right and and court her. What, what was okay, how, how was that, that different for you? That's that's a good question. And so, you know, here's you know she was uh, married. Okay, so she was married, but you know she uh, she was married to an abusive adulterous man this is how saved i am I, I that guy got saved and i followed up on him oh my gosh yeah i'm i'm, I'm saved saved you know what i mean because you know he came <laughs> over he came over when we were when we were dating and and you know i was like ready to just you know pound him you know then next thing i'm saved i'm like bringing him to church wow <laughs> so anyways but you know because of that you know i wanted to escalate the thing further but she was still married so we kind of wait that's why we waited so long yeah you know, let her we were both fixed on Jesus, but I really felt that, um, you know, in my own way that she was kind of an answer to prayer, you know, because how we met, you know, after, you know, me talking to God and then she, you know, she's, we're both two broken people who came together and, uh, you know, she was, uh, abused as a way, physically abused. And so here she is, uh, hurting and broken. And now, She's got this other boyfriend who's a druggie and alcoholic, and you know she's probably thinking he's crazy. He's gonna be, you know, he's gonna be just like the other one, you know, because you know I had violent streaks, you know, in me, and so. But uh, as we made that separation, you know, you know, she sat on one side of the church, I sat on one, uh, the other side of the church. You know, we would say hi, and, you know, talk, but everything, you know, it wasn't even like a dating relationship. But I always had my mind, I'm gonna, I'm gonna marry that girl. Mm. So, so did you guys actually split up? You, you moved into different places? Yeah, I moved out. And we had just actually, right prior to our salvation, we had just moved into a bigger apartment. So now she's left with this bigger apartment that she can't afford. Mm. You know? And so me not knowing a whole lot, you know, the Christian ethics and, you know, things like this, I'm a new convert. You know, I would send her a couple, you know, few hundred dollars just to help her out. But, you know, eventually she moved back, you know, into a smaller base that she could afford. And so, and then, you know, once that took place, I just, we, it was kind of hands off, you know, until we started courting, you know, and so. And how long was that? How much time had passed? Got saved in 88. We started dating in 90, 90, because we got married in 91. So, wow. got, so two years is a pretty long time, I would yeah. say. And so. And yeah. how long had you been together before that? Not very long. We were only, okay. only together for a few, few months. Okay. You know, we met probably in April of that year of 88 and until we got saved, you know, things escalated. And we were, like I said, we're just broken people that made a connection. You know, and we, and then when Jesus interrupted our lives, we just said, Hey, this is what we need to focus on. You know? And we used to tease each other. You know, hey, don't if you backslide. I ain't backsliding with you. You know? And she said the same thing about me. You know? We were new converts. I'd call her up and she was, you know, she was reading her word. I say, hey, man, I'm, re I'm reading Gospel of Matthew. What you in? You know, so we just, 
we would talk a little bit, but you know, nothing, nothing that would cross the line as far as you know, dating or anything like that. Just we're like we're just amazed at what God's doing. Yeah. Matter of fact, we had a, a one of the brothers I was staying with. Uh, they lost the house, and so this was like within a month, and I was just me just moving in, and so we had to find another place, and so I went back and stayed on the couch in the in the in the apartment with, with my with my wife Valerie. You know, never did anything, stayed clean. But my friend told me, he says, man, I, well, he told me later on down the road, he goes, I thought we were going to lose you now. He says, because, you know, you went back to the house. I says, he says, so I told pastor, he says, he says, yeah, he's still coming to church, ain't he? So, because God's doing the work, man. God's just doing the work. Amen. And so, once I started to court her and treat her right, that eventually got married. You know, a lot of these things have developed into sermons, you know. <laughs> Yeah. Over, yeah. 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 Absolutely. Years. But uh, yeah. So it was good. So when you you got saved at at twenty five years old, which is a little bit further down the road than most people, uh, they yeah. say something like seventy or eighty percent of Christians get saved before the age of eighteen, which is why yeah. those teen years are so critical for us to reach people in, in that time period. But uh, but having a little bit of life experience under your belt, uh, what my experience is people who get saved later in in their adulthood 20s and even into their 30s they tend to have more radical experiences like you do because they've seen the other side right so pastor campbell for example got saved when he was 29 years old and so that's that that can show us a, a little bit you know why that that uh that transformation is so powerful so um you know what what kind of i guess my question for you then would would be um, how, how was the process of God, um, renewing your mind? Like it was obviously salvation is a miracle of a moment, but that, that work of, uh, sanctification of God, you know, working in you, maybe you can share with our listeners, some of the things that God, uh, was trying to get out of you and also things that God was trying to get into you. Uh, good. Um, well, I tell people like I, I got I thought I was going to be dead before I was 25. So I got saved two weeks before I turned 25. I got baptized the day before I turned 25. So I, the old man really well, was, died. Was, was, that, was that like something that you had, had told people? No, I, I was just living that way. I just thought, I yeah. just thought, hey, man, I'm going to be dead before 25. I didn't care. I mean, yeah. I, I mean, I, I, I had crazy, man. I mean, I would walk into a bar, see three people. It's all right, you, 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 let's go. You know? Hmm. And you know, you know, I had a gun pulled on me. I was, you know, I was pastoring in Fontana one time, and I stopped my in the middle of the sermon, and I and I told my church, I says, right across the street, you know, twenty five years ago, behind the car wash, you know, uh, there's a little empty lot right there. I says, I you know, I know these people. I says, I had this tweaker come up to me. He accused me of of sleeping with his his wife, and he was just out of his mind. And you know, it's dark, rough, no good pulls a gun he's got a gun on my chest you know point blank and i told the church i says that man you know he was going to pull that trigger and i and i says and i told myself i wasn't even thinking about jesus at the time man i wasn't thinking about eternal life i wasn't thinking about heaven or hell i was thinking go ahead pull the trigger dude because i'm gonna come back and get you you know that was my mindset you know i was i was out i was on the edge you know and i told my church if he would pull that trigger i wouldn't be here today being mm-hmm. split in hell wide open you know so that's part of the the renewal in my mind because because I was such a ticking time bomb. I remember 
showing him to church in one of the first couple of weeks. We had uh, one of the ushers. You know, he's no longer with us, but you know, I guess God gave me discernment right away because <laughs> I show up to church with my girlfriend and the guy. He looks at his watch. He says, "Oh, brother, you're early. Praise God, you're here for prayer." And I'm thinking, I ain't gonna let no punk talk to me like this. You know, he don't even know me. You know, and he's talking to me like I'm some little chump. I turned around and said, let's go get breakfast. You know, so I, you know, we, my girlfriend went and got breakfast and we came back to church later when it started. You know, I'm thinking, no, no, no. So God was dealing with me about, you know, cause I wanted to punch him out, you know, mm. but I walked away <laughs> and went to breakfast. And there was other incidents where God is really testing my patience with some of the brethren, you know, little thorns in my flesh. And I, I would rein it in. I like, you know, and then living in a brother's home, you know, for a short time, you know, there's some crazies that you're living with. <laughs> these guys would test. You know, I had one dude, that, you know, you know, punch me in the face, you know, you know, because I, you know, I was, I was, you know, got into a little altercation. And I just looked at him in his face and said, oh, I've been hit hard by girls. I said, that's all you got, man. I, I, you know, you better not waste your time, bro. So God was dealing with me about not being so volatile, you know. And helping me to rein it in. And so, but he was being tested quite a bit, you know, because there were some brothers that really pushed, pushing some buttons. And, I'm, and so that was being, you know, put in check, you know, the hatred. And eventually my dad came back that same year I got saved. And so, it, you know, he came back you know, about two months after I got saved. So I found out that he was, you know, part of his reasoning of why he wanted to visit the year before was that he had become a Christian. Okay. And so he got saved in prison. Oh, wow. And so he was, he had been praying for me. So I was like, oh, okay. So it was kind of weird at first. Cause you know, here's my dad who I don't know as a dad. So I'm talking to him. I was calling him brother, you know, bro, you know, talking to my father, you know, Hey bro, you know, because we're Christians. Cause it just couldn't come out with the, with the, you know, Hey dad, you know, didn't, it just didn't, there was never that there for me. Hmm. And so, so we squashed that. Eventually, him and I, we actually had a very powerful uh, reconciliation a couple of years into my salvation and where, you know, I asked him to forgive me for my hate and my, I told him, I said, man, I was planning on killing you, you know? And then one, you know, we, how did he react to that? He was, he, he said, I could believe it because I was yeah. the same way. You know, he was, hmm. you know, he was a violent dude too, you know? And, uh, I said, the only thing we had uh, didn't have in common is, is the prison. So everything else we did, we dealt drugs, we, we you know, were violent. We were, you know, it's kind of amazing how the curse went into, in, into my life. You know, the curse of uh, generations, you might say. He was a black sheep of the family. I was a black sheep of mine, you know, without even knowing, you know, our history. But once we got to talk, I said, wow, that's kind of crazy. How the, and then we're both redeemed. And my dad really had a, a heart for, uh, the natives because I'm native. And so he had a heart for uh, native people. So he would travel to all the tribes, various tribes across the country, you know, for, for years. That's all he would do is go witness to people on the, on the res. He told oh, me, wow. he says, man, when I uh, first started, only one in 10 would listen to me. It's now, you know, just a few years ago, he says, now one in 10 won't because there's such an openness of the gospel there. So the other thing that really helped me transform was the word of God. I, I, I made a decision to get a Bible right away. 
So I went and bought a big, giant print Bible. Not that I needed it then. I do need giant print now. But, <laughs> but uh, I just wanted a big Bible, man. So I got the biggest Bible I could find. And I, I, I sat down and I, I read the entire New Testament within about a month and a half. And then I says, you know, I'm going to read the whole thing. And I started reading it for the first two years of my salvation. All I did was just read the Word of God. Just read and read and read. And so uh, that really helped me as far as, you know, transforming how I view people, view life, view, view God, view salvation. You know, there is lots of things, you know, you know. God speaks to us as a, as new converts, you know, we run into a scripture and it just comes alive to us, you know, a rhema to us. And I'm like, man, it, there were reference points to me, you know, where I could, even to this day, I could still glean from, you know, certain texts and pop-ups. Man, this became real 35 years ago, and it's still real. And so, and since then, you know, I've been reading my Bible every year, you know, for 35 years. But, you know, last, gosh, 15 years, I can't, I don't read it just once anymore now. I read it. I read my Bible twice through, and that's not including my study time. You know, that's, you know, that's, you know, that's when I study, it's a whole different thing. You know, I just, that's, I read my Bible twice a year just because I I love the Bible. So that's, uh, I think was a key factor. So I've seen others who don't dig in the word of God for themselves. Right. And the struggle, it's the connection there. It's almost undeniable. Yeah. If all you do is read your Bible when you go to church, you're missing out a whole lot more. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, maybe I'd like to double down on that because um, I think that 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 is such a missing factor in so many Christians today is that they maybe they have a respect for the Bible. They know that it's important for them. But, you you know, we we are seeing a, a drop off these days of people even reading books at all. Like yeah. there's so many kids that come out of high school not even knowing how to read well. And even if they did know how to read well, you know, they're so consumed with the other things, social media and video content that reading is just like a, it's a foreign concept to so many people. Yeah. I think that's a strategy from hell uh, to keep people away from the word of God. Yeah, well, you know, everything's become digital, less part of it. You know, and so but with digital comes distractions, you know, but uh, I, you know, I've tried to encourage my my daughters, you know, hey, you got to have, you know, I, I told one of my daughters, she's 30 now. I think I told her when she was, I was pastoring at the time, she was 12. I says, listen, I says, daddy can't take you to heaven. Yep. I says, you got to have your own relationship with Jesus. I said, he loves you. Dad on the cross for you. I says, but as much as I love you, I can't take you with me. And, I, and I've shared that conviction. My wife and I both share that conviction with our daughters. And I think that that's one of the reasons it became real to them. You know, like, hey, my parents are serious about this stuff. And so I encouraged I haven't, you know, beat them over the head with the Bible. But I said, you need to read your Bible because you're going to have a revelation of who he is, of who God is. And uh, he, so you'll come across moments in your life where the Bible becomes very relevant and very real for you personally says i try to encourage young converts you know to read my pastor is a reader you know he's a very intelligent guy matter of fact he preached a sermon in conference one year in tucson that uh, a pastor should be reading you know at least eight books a month and he took some flack but see my pastor does read eight books a month you know and so he was the one that kind of wet my appetite 
when I seen all those books in his house. Man, this dude mm. reads a lot. I I never read a book in my life, you know. So after I started getting a hunger for the Word of God, I you know I also started reading other books, you know, you know. I you know I told some of the younger guys that are aspiring for ministry. I says, man, I says I had I had eternal security, you know, worked out. Baptism of the Holy Ghost worked out. I had all lots of doctrines, you know, Trinity. I says things you might not think of. I said I had worked them out, made them my own, just with books I read and study on my own before I ever went out to pastor. I said, yeah. Because I wanted to know who God was. I, I want to know these things. I I just wanted to know for myself. And I I don't see that a lot. You know, it's kind of frustrating. You know, when you uh, mention books to people, you know, hey, you should read this. Like, what? They want the thirty second, you know, shortcut article. You know? Right. Right. You know? Exactly. And I'd rather yeah. dig in the word. I still to this day, I try to read. You know, even on the road, I try to read two, three books a month. I shoot for that, but I don't always get it. But I get at least two in. You know? Yeah. You know, yeah, that's yeah, a, it's a great goal to have. And actually, while we're on the topic, uh, I recently uh, found a way on uh, Amazon. They have a they have a new thing on there that allows you to create a group, like a book club kind of thing. And so I thought, yeah, I, I that got, would be kind of a cool thing. Yeah, I got invited to a uh, CFM book club. Oh, that was probably me. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I joined. I haven't I haven't uh, participated in anything yet. So, but I'm yeah. probably. Well, get in there and still trying to it. figure out how to how to get it to be something that's helpful. But I think it would be cool to have, you know, a group of pastors it doesn't even have to be pastors, just people, you know, uh, like minded people reading the same book at the same time and, yep. you know, sharing what we, what we're getting out of it. So I thought that might be a, a nice thing to do. So, yeah, anyways, got, more to come on that. Yeah, I got friends that will, you know, people that know that I know are readers and people who know that I read. We'll ask each other when we see, hey, what do you read? Yeah, what do you read? And so we'll we'll share. Hey, I'm reading this. I've heard this on this, and you know, I'm you know I'm constantly picking up book ideas from pastors. You know, when I travel, I say, "Hey, man, what are you reading?" And you know, I'll get mm -hmm. recommendations. I'll take. Them. I'll throw little recommendations because it's just more more tools for the trade, man. Do you have a Do you have like a top three that you could share with the, the listening audience? Oh my gosh, top three? No. <laughs> <laughs> I can't juggle them around sometimes, but, you know, there's uh, several books I've read. It depends on the topic, too. You know? Sure. You know, I just read Pastor well, if you, Greg's if you, book. If you could visit. Oh, yeah, on the Healing Power book, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah very helpful. Um, yeah. If, if you could go back and put three books into the hands of brand new convert Mike Gomez, what, what, would you, what do you think you would give him? I would, I would put any book by J. Oswald Sanders in her hand. Spiritual mm. leadership is one of them. Okay, that you know that's a definitely a, a good one to just read read over and over again from time to time. I would put in a uh, lightning on the spot, Pentecostal skies. Ooh, I haven't heard of that one. Tell me, that, that's a worthy book, bro. There's a, that's a worthy book uh, on on it's. Back in the eighteen hundreds, you know, I like old books, old, mm. old revival books. I like to find I, out about books like that. Well, I, like I said, I you know, I, I consider myself somewhat of a student of re revival. You know, so I read anything I can on revival. You know, and so uh, when when uh, God stepped down from heaven is another one. You know, uh, the Kentucky River. Give, give me that title again: Lightning Bolts. Lightning, lightning bolts from Pentecostal skies. Okay. And uh, 
when, when God stepped down from heaven's another one. Yeah, there's a shoot. Books on Revival by Winky Pratney. There's a matter of fact, I got a study Bible by Winky Pratney. He's got a study, oh, wow. revival study Bible. And so, which okay. is kind of Thompson chain. That's the one I'm currently working through right now. I, I, you know, I go through my study Bible like one chapter a day or two chapters a day, maybe. I kind of just chew on that and all the little notes and the, you know, the chain references that they have. It's just stuff I like, you know. So that's one. And then, you know, I would definitely recommend it. The, the Oswald Smith books, you know, Passion for Souls. That one's a good one. Okay. Well, I'm sure we could we could talk uh, for ages about good books, but yeah. uh, we want we want to hear some more about your uh, discipleship journey. Uh, you got married, obviously, start a family. Um, you eventually got a, a vision for pastoral ministry and then for evangelism, and I'd like to hear about all that. But we're going to save that for our premium subscribers on the other side of the break. So uh, if you would like to hear the rest of this conversation uh, to our listeners, um, there's going to be links in the show notes below that you can use to uh, to go ahead and connect with that. And again, all of our proceeds are going for world evangelism. We don't keep a dime. Uh, you're three bucks a month on Supercast or five bucks a month if you're listening through Apple Podcasts. All of that goes uh, to our Thursday night world evangelism uh, in Chandler, Arizona. So uh, not only that, but you get to hear the rest of this awesome conversation with evangelist Mike Gomez. But uh, even if you don't listen to that part of it, we do thank you for being a listener. And uh, uh, for those that will uh be joining we'll we'll see you on the other side of this break thank you for being a listener to the testimony tuesday 